0: What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome to episode eight of the Rod and Real podcast. I'm Rod Beer, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News. And it's been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without uh, something to listen to. It's been a minute since uh, we've done a podcast. I've done a podcast and just haven't had that gusto. Just haven't had the will to want to do one and the urge to want to do one. Because frankly, there hasn't been any basketball going on. And the bubble got started, so that's sort of basketball, pseudo-basketball. But we're really starting to get back in the swing of things with the NBA season restarting tonight. So I got some energy and got some desire to try to do another podcast, and here we go. So obviously the big topic is going to be about the Orlando bubble and the NBA season restarting. I'll sketch out some of that, talk about the Pistons and where they stand in all of this with the potential Chicago bubble. Be looking at the draft and free agency, what that looks like. And if there's gonna be a 2021 season, what exactly are we looking at with that? Will there be another bubble? Will there be something else? And I also touch on the news yesterday that the Pistons bought a new G League franchise that will replace the Grand Rapids drive and what that means for the Pistons, for the drive, for this new franchise and everything going forward. So got a nice show for you. But just want to jump in and start with the Orlando bubble. And I have to admit, I was one of the skeptical ones in the beginning that said that it, it, the bubble was a grand idea, an optimistic idea at best, but it seems like this thing is going to work, at least for the, the most part right now, it's working. They identified all of the positive cases when the teams were in their home markets and now moving into the bubble in Orlando, they haven't had positive cases, certainly not last week, which was a report yesterday. and. As they're getting into games, what you want to have is what they have right now, which is no positive cases, and everybody's looking forward to the restart of the season, which kicks off tonight with, obviously, the marquee match being Lakers and Clippers uh, in this eight game restart uh, that will happen, what they're calling the seeding games, but really it's just, this is the exhibition season, let's call it what it is. These eight games are going to be for playoff positioning, but teams kind of know where they are, and the nba coming back with that 22 team bubble it's really those extra six teams that are in there because it's somewhat for the nba contract and satisfying the television contract requirements because to say that those teams like the wizards in the eastern conference and like some of the, the dregs portland let's say in the western conference are trying to fight their way into the playoffs i just don't see it it's it's yeah, you're giving them a chance to play. Yeah, they somebody might catch a hot streak and get into the playoffs, and that's what wild cards are about in baseball and, and all of that stuff. But this is really about getting back into the swing of things for basketball and, and some of those markets getting to see some of their players. because we, Again, we've been starved for this for since March, so we're talking about four months, essentially, that we've been without basketball. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how all of this stuff goes tonight with the restart of the season, with the lakers and clippers and obviously some players not being ready to play and, and Rajon rondo is going to be out we'll talk about lou williams a little bit later too but real basketball we've seen real baseball in the past week or so get started with its own hiccups and, and own issues but I, I think i'm optimistic about the bubble now i think it, it could work but what does that mean moving forward when you talk about the pistons in next season or the nba in next season Will we have to remain in a bubble until there's a vaccine? So, I mean, those, those are big questions. But again, the, the NBA season restarting the night is, is something to look forward to. The bubble itself, I mean, some of the conditions that are in there. In the beginning, it was the, the prepackaged food, which was almost like the fire festival stuff, where it was you promised all of this grandiose, um, luxurious accommodations. And I don't doubt that the hotel rooms are that, but the food that they were showing in some of those pictures in the beginning was straight hilarious that you were getting school lunch style sandwiches with mustard packets and everything else. That's what you were getting. And NBA players, certainly when they travel, they're accustomed to a five star hotel with with top level service but that this is what they were getting in the very beginning was just hilarious to me. And, and the restrictions and everything else that was going on, one of the things that was said is uh, they didn't want it to be like a prison, that you could leave anytime you wanted to, uh, but you were subject to those same restrictions coming back in, whether it be four or five, uh, eight or 10 days in a quarantine, if you left the bubble and you were coming back, then you would be subject to that. And we saw that with Zion Williamson who left Because of a family emergency and came back in and he was only subject to a four-day quarantine period and then he's likely ready to to practice today and and potentially play tonight when they open up the uh the restart and then you have a case like lou williams who also left for a family funeral believe it was his grandfather who passed away went to atlanta and sure enough big lou got caught up in magic city and there were so many violations in this and, and, and obviously it's not i tweeted about this too that obviously i don't condone him being out of the bubble and and going to magic city which is a uh, gentleman's club gentleman's ballet whatever you want to call it uh, but they also have these renowned wings and if you look at the menu lou williams is named on the menu they're the lou will lemon pepper barbecue wings so obviously he's a frequent patron of magic city and went to get some wings even if he went and he um was just waiting and pulled up and and just said hey i need some wings it might be 30 45 minutes before you're getting those wings so you hang out you look at the entertainers and you you do what you got to do the problem was that uh, one of the uh, local rapper Uh, took a picture of Lou Will and posted it on Instagram, quickly deleted it, but the word had gotten out that Lou Will was at Magic City. And it's not so much that it was Magic City, it could have been KFC, it could have been uh, Papado's, it could have been any kind of Atlanta establishment, a restaurant, that he was just out and intermingling with regular people outside of the bubble goes against what the bubble in Orlando is all about. So obviously, it's a violation. Obviously, I'm not condoning it. But I mean, it just shows where we are in our society, especially with social media, that people feel like everything needs to be captured in a picture and everything needs to be posted on social media. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. And yes, in this case, it's what helped everybody understand that Lou Williams was out and mingling with non-bubble people and, and just doing whatever. He did have a mask on, so that's something in his favor, but still, it just wasn't good judgment on his part to go out and do that. And the other piece of it is just kind of be a little bit smarter, be a little bit more responsible, understanding how fragile this bubble is. And, and someone posed the question, well, what if Lou Williams didn't get caught? And, and what if he just went back in the bubble and he brought COVID back into the bubble? And that's just how fragile this whole thing is, is that one player and one person who doesn't follow the protocols can just tear this whole thing down. And we've seen this in Major League Baseball the same sort of way with the Miami Marlins with a couple of their players testing positive, then a couple more, then some coaches. Trying any of of these sports and bringing them back in this pandemic situation is optimistic at best. You can can try it, but understand that one person who decides they don't want to wear a mask it's not really about you this is about the entire league and everything else that goes with it and everybody has their own personal preferences of whether they're wearing a mask Uh, I certainly do uh, because my daughter is at an increased risk and has uh, some of those health issues that everywhere I go I'm wearing a mask even when I take a, a walk around my neighborhood I have a mask on just in case just to you never know what how that works And I'd rather look silly or out of place by having a mask on than to unconsciously and unintentionally um, breathe something in and test positive. So, again, I'm not going to preach to people about what they should and shouldn't be doing. Science kind of does that for you. But at the same time, it is very much the only way that we're going to get out of this pandemic situation and and being with the restrictions that we have outside of a vaccine. And that still seems to be very far away. The only way that's going to happen is if people mask up and take the precautions that need to happen and, and just do that sort of thing. So, uh, that being said, I, I wasn't going to go to the bubble. Even if the Pistons were involved, I was kind of shaky on going to the bubble myself. And, and it's still very limited access for media members who are in there. They didn't want to have very many media members who were going to Orlando and staying in the bubble on the NBA campus. So, that's only for a few. I mean, Malik Andrews from ESPN is doing a very good job of, of reporting from inside the bubble. There are certain other few for uh, their teams who are doing specific things for the teams that they're covering. That's kind of cool, but yeah, not not for me and and again for my daughter who is having some of those medical issues and at, the, at risk for that, yeah, it's just not worth the risk for me to go into the bubble and try to do that. I'll be interested to see not just how the media members are covering and how this access continues throughout it, but how the players um, continue with that and if you have any defectors who try to get out of the bubble and just say, you know what, this ain't for me. Now, we've seen that already before the start of the NFL season, that there are some players who are opting out. We're seeing players like the Alliance Kenny Galladay and Hockinson who are, have already tested positive for uh, COVID and are going to be under certain restrictions. So uh, for, for baseball and for football who decided not to do bubbles so far, I just don't see how they're going to be able to have a season and guarantee the safety of everybody in the bubble if you don't have a bubble or everybody on their teams If you don't have a bubble where there's some security in knowing that people just aren't going out after a game and going and hanging out or going to the beach or or just in large groups of people, there's sort of a gentleman's agreement with that and and some common sense that goes along with it. But a lot of people are just asymptomatic and you don't know. And, And so, again, off my soapbox about the pandemic and what you need to do, but it just seems very sketchy that baseball and football are saying, that they don't need to be in a bubble to try to have their season. And we can see what the Marlins are doing right now and how it's impacting the rest of Major League Baseball uh, with that too. So uh, the first couple of games in the bubble too have, have gotten me back interested in, in basketball again. It was good to see the Clippers and the Lakers and the, the Sixers. I think I watched one of their first few games. I watched a, a Bucks game with Giannis. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that's there that makes you miss basketball and and even with the fans not there and the sort of and the measures that they're taking to compensate for that with the video screens and the the piped in noise that they might be doing yeah it's kind of weird but it i I think it's still the basketball itself if you're watching the game and you you you're glad to see your favorite players out there i think that works for fans that basketball is back and we'll see how this restart of the season goes i'm just really really intrigued to see how all of this works and it helps to some degree that the Pistons aren't in it because I can just have no uh, kind of work type things to go around it. I can just sit and watch almost as a fan, but not really as a fan uh, of the game itself and, and just how things are going to move forward as they get into the playoffs and try to get this thing done through October. And that's whether they get it done. I'm feeling a little bit more optimistic about it. So the next piece of that is going to be where, where do the Pistons fit? There, there's been talk about a Chicago bubble I don't know how you bubble up in Chicago. I just don't see it. It's just too condensed of a city and the population center is just there. What I did think about was having something, if they did it at Northwestern, if let's say Northwestern doesn't have in-person classes and they don't have people back in the dorms, you could potentially have a bubble with the eight teams that are not involved in this NBA restart, the, the Bulls, the Hawks, the Pistons, those types of teams. You can have them on Northwestern's campus. So it's sort of Chicago, but not really Chicago when you're talking about up in Evanston. So it's secluded enough. They could use the Welsh Ryan Arena. Is it still called Welsh Ryan? We'll call it, We'll say that it's Welsh Ryan. They could still use the arena there. Uh, there might be some other facilities around uh, that they could use as well for individual teams to practice and get done what they need to. But that's an interesting thought, and I hadn't really suggested that to anybody, but it was just something... Uh, Chicago is centrally located, so it could work. And I I would say centrally located when you're talking about Golden State being the western-most team that would be interested in doing any kind of second bubble. They're just kind of letting the clock tick and get down to the draft, let us know what pick we got, and then let us know when the season starts and we'll holler at y'all later. It's kind of where the Warriors seem to be at this point. But even if you did a regional sort of thing where you had Chicago, Atlanta, and Detroit that could be something that they did it with just three or four teams but what a lot of the coaches are saying that um i've heard from in these eight teams is that they'd rather just do something individually and do team practices which they haven't been able to do the pistons have been limited to individual workouts and one-on-o so a player working with a coach and doing some stuff with that at the practice facility there hasn't been any uh, two-on-two or five-on-five or anything close to that so far so that's the next stage that they're looking to work in it and they don't need hey let's have scrimmages or let's have a summer league feel with that from what i've heard it's just been more of hey let a, let them work with five on five and, and, and get some more basketball type things instead of the one-on-one work that the players typically do in the summer so that might be the most that they're looking forward to in, in terms of a chicago type bubble but as the as those th- those talks materialize troy weaver the new general manager said that they would embrace that with open arms if that opportunity came up that they could uh, participate in a Chicago bubble and having some team against team some strategizing some actual coaching some some running up and down the court I think that would be beneficial but still at this point it would seem like it would have to be in a a strict bubble atmosphere much like the Orlando bubble is going right now in order to move forward and do anything like that When you look at the draft and and free agency coming up, those are probably the two biggest things on the Pistons calendar right now. Obviously, they can't do the traditional scouting and preparation that they would do in preparation for the draft. So they're able to do some interviews, some video interviews, and to look at tape. And what some folks had said is that they had already done their due diligence. They had done most of the work that they needed to do on certainly the international prospects, but even some of the college prospects, they had gotten out and seen those guys early in their college seasons. So when everything was stopped before the NCAA tournament, it wasn't like they missed out on a ton of stuff or they just didn't get an opportunity. And I asked a a front office person about that and just doesn't it mean more when you have the NCAA tournament because it's the shorter prep time and you're playing not necessarily a back-to-back, but you're playing two games in three days in those scenarios, and, and it's higher stakes. And he, he said, no, it's not really about that stuff. It's it's what they do in their non-conference games, at the start of their conference seasons, and that's the raising level of competition. The other scenarios, you'd like to have it as other data points, but it's not the end-all, be-all of anything. And I thought the NCAA tournament was, was a, a bigger scouting opportunity, but not necessarily. So there are other pieces to that that, that they've looked at. So the lottery is going to be August twentieth. They moved that up a couple of days. And the Pistons right now are in fifth position with their twenty and forty-six record. But at the way the season was going in those final sixteen games, they they were right there to be able to move up, if not to that number one spot, certainly to the number two spot where they were only a half game uh, behind those other teams that are in front of them. But they had to figure out some kind of way to do the seating as you look at what they were gonna do in terms of the draft and the lottery. So they just stopped it and said, we'll leave it as it is. Even though there were different numbers of games that teams had played, they weren't gonna do anything or or change what the lottery scenario was. And I thought maybe they could have waited it some kind of way, but it, it is what it is. The Pistons are in that fifth position right now. And maybe they'll get a little bit lucky in the lottery and move up a little bit from the five position. But again, This draft is not one where you say there's this prize at the top. There's no uh, John Morant and there's no Zion Williamson waiting at the top of this draft. So even if the Pistons stay in the five spot, I think there's a little bit of a difference in the the approach that they can go in assessing their prospects and who they might end up drafting. So the draft itself is is October 16th, and that's going to be right after the NBA Finals are done, uh, right in the middle of October. And so when you start looking at the top prospects you can have a Lamelo ball which by most accounts is going to be the the number one prospect there uh anthony edwards not too far behind him and i won't geek out and start assessing each of them but i'll give you a short little thumbnail for a couple of the guys with, with Lamelo, lamello certainly the size at, at six seven is something that you look at and you would prize in a point guard with the ball handling skills and the vision that he has And kind of that star quality he looks like he's ready to step into a role and to lead a team at that point guard position but i just have too many questions about his shooting mechanics his shooting percentages his shot choices and his decision making and some of that and certainly as a rookie coming into the nba it's one of the harder positions to adjust to you're going to make your share of mistakes you've got to get the the offense in gear with a 24 second clock. And if you're not used to that, that that takes a lot of adjustment. So the the quality and level of play that LaMelo had in Australia is a big question for me. How does he play when he's around top tier, top level talent? And we just haven't seen enough of that to say that all of that stuff is gonna translate well for him. So, I mean, that's uh, if you get the number one pick, I guess you have to take LaMelo Ball. If you're the Pistons, and again, a lot of the order and how these guys are going to fall depends on how the lottery goes. If you're the Golden State Warriors and you get the number one pick, are you taking LaBella Ball? Absolutely not. There's no reason to, and you might not even look at an Anthony Edwards either. That might be a James Wiseman call that the uh, Golden State Warriors are looking at if they get it. If the Hawks get it, it's going to be a completely different look. If the Bulls get the number one pick, Everything kind of shapes up a different way. So what's really going to dictate a lot of this draft is how the lottery goes and teams and and what their particular needs are. And whenever it gets down to the Pistons, it gets down to the Pistons uh, and and the players that are there. So I think you do best player available. Anthony Edwards has the the size and the scoring as maybe a a shooting guard. But even though the three-point shooting percentage, what I think was 26% for him, the big question marks around that, that if you're going to use a top five pick on Anthony Edwards, then you want to have a lot of those question marks answered. And just too much of that is there where you're just not sure. And that that's where I think the issue with this draft is. James Wiseman, he's a center, a traditional type center. But if the Pistons just moved on from Andre Drummond, are you going to pick up another young center in the draft? Then what is this rebuild really about? There's a positional need there certainly because the Pistons don't have a, a center on the roster. If they don't pick up the the tag on Don Maker, then they don't have a center on the roster. And you can look at Christian Wood and say he's a center, but his, his future is probably more positioned for him to be a power forward than it is to be uh, a center. And, and he needs to get stronger and maybe put on some weight and muscle to be a true center because he got banged around a little bit when he played the bigger centers in the league. So you're, if you're the Pistons, you're gonna need a center at some point, whether it's free agency or through the draft, and, and Wiseman might be the look. So I think you almost end up with two different draft boards. If you're One, if you're picking one through three and how you rank those guys, and then another if you do four through six. Point guard is almost certainly the position that would benefit the Pistons most because this draft is full of point guards. You got your LaMelo Ball, you got Killian Hayes, I kind of like Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. I think he's got that good blend of, of the size at 6'5", and the shooting is there too, and he can orchestrate the pick and roll very nicely. And he has not lamello ball court vision, but good enough vision and he can get the ball there. From the, the stuff that I've seen, and I, I didn't go to, to Ames, Iowa, and see him play, but I think it is important to have that mix of size and smarts and intelligence, and he can play both of those guard positions. So if you need him to play off the ball, if he's playing with Derrick Rose, he can do either or. If he's playing with Bruce Brown, he can do either or, or Luke Kennard, either or. So I think that flexibility makes him a little bit more uh, of a, a better prospect for what the Pistons particularly need. But again, he's not a guy you're going to pick if you get the one through first through third pick. That might be LaMelo Ball. If you get the fourth through sixth, then Tyrese Halliburton. That still might be a little bit high. But um, for a guy who doesn't like contact and doesn't like getting to the free throw line, those are fixable things to me. I think you can you can do that a little bit better than the shooting uh, mechanics of a guy like a LaMelo ball. Um, so that's just a, a, a thumbnail sketch at some of those guys. Killian Hayes the same way. I think he can play both guard positions. So you just have to look at the strengths of each of those two guys and figure out what works. But if you end up in that four through six spot and you really like Halliburton, do you trade down? I, I don't know if you can risk that and not get the guy that you want at that position but I don't know who the, the guy is that they truly want, and, and Troy Weaver didn't give very many indications about anything, and, and uh, just a bit about Troy Weaver to, to start. Coming from Oklahoma City, I think he's he's been brought up in that Sam Presty mold, and he's been around there for 12 years, and, and the thing that strikes me about Troy Weaver is that he has been around and he understands success and what it takes to build it, but the other piece is that the Thunder went through so many different iterations of when you talk about Kevin Durant and and Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that initial core, uh, all of whom that he had some hand in drafting. And, and listen, it's it's not saying that much that well, look, they they chose to draft James Harden. Well, I mean, people kind of knew that he was going to be that. And and obviously, we've written about and talked about how he was instrumental in, in identifying Russell Westbrook as a top tier talent and and pushed the Thunder to draft Russell Westbrook. Certainly that's impressive, but I think the thing that strikes me about Weaver's resume is that there were other guys like a Steven Adams or a Serge Ibaka that he advocated for and the Thunder drafted those guys. And those pieces being building blocks and being rotational pieces, those are just important as getting the top picks right. So. We were coming in for the Pistons as the GM in this draft at this time with where they are with the cap with where they are with a potential top five pick I think that's as important as anything in terms of bringing in a general manager right now and and they have been without one for two years so I think that's part of the explanation is they wanted to set the table and get everything right for him and of course they interviewed him two years ago when they were trying to set up their front office when they brought in Stefanski to, to lead it as a senior advisor and to me, and I don't have any kind of intel on this, it just seemed like they were waiting for Troy Weaver to determine when the time was right for him to be able to come. So moving to free agency and the uh, salary cap, this is the year, this is the time that the Pistons fans have been waiting on for so long because they've been in cap purgatory. Some would say cap jail for so many years now, since the Stan Van Gundy era, where they, they kind of, where they kind of used all of their cap space and they went for it all at the, the, all at once and it didn't work with what they had. So now with the departures of Andre Drummond uh, at the trade deadline, Reggie Jackson right after in the contract buyout and Jackson going to the Clippers, Drummond going to the Cavs, there is a lot more cap space available. It looks like it's going to be about $30 million in, in space that they'll have. And most importantly, they're off the Josh Smith contract, that, that 5300000 million that's been there seems like forever. They're going to have a lot of spaces in the roster that they're going to have to figure out. The unrestricted free agents, uh, Christian Wood, Langston Galloway, Brandon Knight, John Henson, uh, Thon Maker, who uh, they can do a qualifying offer for, but I, I would think they did. They won't end up doing that. Uh, Jordan McRae, that's six guys right there that you're losing in free agency. Christian Wood is probably the highest priority in all of that. For folks who don't know, Christian Wood was the last guy to make the roster on the last day of camp before they submitted uh, the the final rosters, and he and Joe Johnson were vying for that spot, and and luckily for the Pistons, they figured out that Christian Wood would be the, the, the one that they would take the chance on, and it ended up working out for them, and Wood finished the season in a flourish absolutely with four career high games in his last week three or four career high games in this last week uh, and just showing that after drummond left that he could step in and with a lot of with significant playing time that he would be able to produce and he did that with double doubles it seemed like every night so it seems like he's going to be a player and given where the pistons are and they don't have a lot of healthy stars to build around Obviously, Blake Griffin having surgery and and missing a a huge chunk of the season and and Griffin having two more years on his contract that you might want to build around Christian Wood and and given what that number is going to be. You don't know what the number is going to be, but if he was making the minimum last year and you're talking about he needs a raise uh, on a new contract, what's that what's that number look like is it somewhere around 10 million dollars and that seems to be it because there aren't a lot of teams with cap space that can just sign him like that the the hawks the hornets might be a couple of them that might be interested but if you're the hawks you got john collins why are you worried about christian wood and using him at center so you could have a couple of teams like that that drive up the price on what christian wood is going to cost and if the pistons have 30 million dollars to play around with they would love for Christian Wood just to not sign anything, not get any other offers, and somewhere around $10 million, which is, is in that neighborhood of the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, maybe a little bit north of that. Let's say it's $12 million then i think that's a safe enough number again barring some team like atlanta or charlotte just going off the the grid and saying you know what we really want christian wood and we're going to pay him 15 million dollars i think that would put the pistons in a very awkward position because that seemed that would be a big chunk of their cap space but you you almost don't have a choice You, you you do have a choice but you almost don't because the excitement that wood has generated and looking at what his potential could be that you, you your hand would be forced. You'd have to either say yay or nay. And if the Pistons come back next year without Christian Wood, there are going to be some fans that are going to be uh, a little put off by what that is, that you develop a guy, you work with him a little bit, he becomes good, and, and you just don't pony up the numbers that you need to in order to bring him back. I think that would be kind of off-putting. So the Pistons' best hope in all of that would be that that number stays somewhere around 10, 12 million, and there's not a lot of activity in the Christian Wood free agency market and and they're able to bring him back for a, a lower price. So uh there's also some scenarios where because Christian Wood's cap number is lower that they can do all their other free agency stuff and bring him back because they they have his early bird rights. So it, it, there's a lot to do with that, but I think again the thing to watch there is what the, the number is on Christian Wood whether it's Nine million, nine and a half, somewhere in that mid-level exception, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception range, or whether it starts to shoot up and be over ten, somewhere in the twelve to fifteen range, that starts to be uh, more dangerous for the Pistons in their hopes of bringing him back. I would look at bringing back Langston Galloway too. I made seven million this year, and for a guy who, for most people, would say that he didn't live up to his contract uh, this year, I think he did put it all together and was shooting forty percent from three and it just is a good guy to help your younger guards and wings to learn from and the way that he handles himself professionally comes in prepared every day when he doesn't have a good game he's the first one to say he doesn't have a good game and just the way he goes about his practice his work carries himself you don't have to worry about him being in trouble I think that's a guy you could easily bring back what that number is I don't know it's if you're saying he's overpaid at $7 million, I don't know what the number is that you can bring him back at. That's under that because other teams are going to covet him as well. Looking at guys who shoot 40%, there just aren't a ton of them in the league this year. So I, I don't think he's going to give a hometown discount either, but maybe that's something they can work out and figure out uh, as they move along in negotiations. The other piece is the rest of that cap space. And if you look at the Pistons roster, obviously I mentioned that the Pistons still need a center. They do, they are losing John Henson, Thon Maker was kind of a center for them, and Christian Wood is kind of a center, but they don't have just a big guy uh, that's on the bench like a, a Boban or a, an Aaron Baines. Baines might be a guy that they could look at in free agency. I think he's um, certainly serviceable. He, he gives you that ability to guard some of the bigger, bulkier centers, and he himself has gotten a lot better from three-point range uh, than he was when he was here. I, I think he, he checks all the boxes for you, so if you're looking at a guy that might be the the one guy a Montrez harrell or, or somebody like that i think is is going to be really tough to try to wrangle in the market the way that it is especially if the clippers do well in the playoffs i won't go through all the free agency stuff and the people who are available but i think those are a couple of guys they can keep an eye on but i don't think they're going to jump and make a big big splash in free agency this year just because they have the space doesn't mean they're going to spend it next summer they're going to be, or next offseason, whenever that ends up being, there will be some better names in free agency. There will be some other teams that have space in free agency as well, but I, I wouldn't condone going out and spending all of that 30 plus million in space that they have this year and then you're locked up for the next couple of years. You, you just want to be as flexible as you can. So that might mean going out and giving guys bloated one-year contracts. So maybe if, if Christian would, I would think you want to lock him up longer term, but if you said, hey, here's one year and $15 million, that wouldn't be the end of the world necessarily either because you're taking a chance in, in all of this stuff that you do, especially in a COVID environment. You don't know what the rest of the next couple of years are going to look like. The other option might be that they would go out and take on some bad contracts from other teams and get some draft assets along with those. So you take this bad 10 million or 15 million dollar contract but you get a first round pick in 21 or 22 or or something like that. That's a, That seems to be the best option for the Pistons right now because you want to acquire as many assets as you can in the future. So if you do that in, in one or two cases and you take on a contract but you get a pick with it, still not the end of the world. I don't see them necessarily trying to contend next year and again looking at the roster yes you have a Blake Griffin who is gonna come back healthy by all signs and indications right now you have Derrick Rose who who had an outstanding season but by the same token you don't have the other pieces to fill in with it you don't have a a point guard who's going to play heavy minutes for you I think Derrick Rose would still be under the same restrictions and you might have Blake Griffin under the same restrictions in terms of minutes and, and not trying to run those guys in the ground so uh, I don't think they'll be contending or trying to contend this year necessarily, but it depends on what that top five pick looks like. And if you can get some huge jumps in production from a guy like Sekou and, and uh, Luke Kennard and, and those guys come back healthy and you don't have to worry about them for longer stretches, missing 10, 20, 30 games. If you can get just a healthy group, they might battle their way and, and still work their way into a playoff spot. But again, contending is being in the four five range or, or higher than that. And i just don't foresee that for the pistons with what they have right now as one of the voters for the nba postseason awards it was in the midst of a pandemic it was difficult trying to remember okay what exactly did happen this season let me go back and look at some stuff but the ballots were due on tuesday and submitted mine i just wanted to go through a couple of the things maybe the more not necessarily contentious things but the most interesting postseason award categories and, and how I voted in some of those the MVP is obviously at the top of the list and there's the back and forth about LeBron and uh, Giannis and who should be the MVP I think it's Giannis because of what the Bucks are doing and you can look at the stats and the stats are going to be a little bit skewed because there were so many lopsided games that he didn't play the full game and and sat and rested and did whatever lebron is lebron he's gonna put up numbers he's gonna if he leaves the league and assists i mean that's just what that guy does you can statistically almost argue that lebron should win mvp just about every year and and winning second in, in mvp is is no small thing for lebron either but Giannis for what he's done with the bucks and giving them the best record in the league is significant for me i mean that's Fifty-three and twelve. He he's averaging twenty-nine a game, thirteen rebounds, and he and I don't know. I mean, for for where that guy's come and and what that team has done, and you can say the the Clippers, the Lakers, the the Bucks, all three are the favorites to to win the championship. I like what the Bucks have done in the way they built that franchise around Giannis. And if Giannis is out here hitting threes, it's just, it's ball game. It's game over. I don't know what you do to stop that dude. And LeBron is sort of the same way. So it's taken nothing from LeBron, but I think Giannis has had a, a more outstanding season. And it, they're built around, the Bucs are built around Giannis, just like the Lakers are built around LeBron. If you take LeBron off that team, they still have Anthony Davis. If you take uh, Giannis off of the Bucks, are they still the same sort of team? I, I, there's some arguments with that. When you look at uh, All NBA first team All NBA, and this is one of the the interesting things that the league has done with positional versatility, where they move guys around, where you could have LeBron as a guard, Kawhi Leonard as a guard, that made it a little bit easier to kind of fill out your bracket, but it's going to mess up some other guys that you have fit into certain positions and not in others. So, for my All NBA first team uh, I had Giannis and LeBron as the forwards Anthony Davis as the center James Harden and Kawhi Leonard as the guards because I I think Kawhi belongs there and yeah the Lakers get two players and, and you can argue that Anthony Davis isn't a center and I don't want to get into, well, who played, how many minutes at this position or that position. It's all kind of fluid. It's all kind of whatever. But just the way the NBA let, created the ballots and let guys be considered at different positions, you can call it cheating by putting Kawhi as a forward, but it just means that I don't have to make a decision between moving Anthony Davis down to the second team and then trying to move up either uh, one of the centers to be in that center spot. He's a center to me. There he is. Second team, I had Luca, Rudy Gobert as the center chris paul and damian lillard as the guards and i don't think there's much consternation there uh but my my second team forward i had chris middleton from the bucks and that might be a little bit of of a surprise um i I also considered pascal siakam and and jason tatum there at the forward positions but middleton is doing some some crazy stuff this year if you you don't know he's on the verge of a 50 40 90 year that's 50 percent Uh, field goal percentage 40% from three and 90% on free throws but he's doing it while he's averaging uh, 20 points 20 plus points per game and the only people who have done that uh, in the only people who have done that in the season Larry Bird Kevin Durant Steph Curry I think that's that's pretty elite company so you might be able to make an argument for Middleton on the first team it's a weaker argument but second team I think he's certainly deserving uh, of that honor so I, I, Chris Middleton is on my second team and then the third team for All-NBA I have Siakam Jason Tatum Jokic is the center and Jimmy Butler and Brad Beal as the um, the guards on that third team but I think that's an interesting mix but again it's, it's made more difficult by them moving guys around and saying this guy can be this and this guy can be a, a forward and Anthony Davis can be a center okay well cool Uh, Coach of the year, I like Nick Nersen and what he's done in Toronto. And you can say that the Raptors kind of manned up and it was significant that they won the championship with Kawhi. But without Kawhi, to still be in a a similar position this year uh, just says what type of job the Raptors... Franchise has done, and the front office has done, but also what Nick Nurse has done. Budenholzer was second for me, and I think that was uh, because the Bucks defensively have become one of the better teams in the league, and, and the talent acquisition there has helped that as well. But I think his schemes defensively have been um, novel in the NBA and helped them to have a lot of those lopsided games. Is is not only were they scoring on you, but you just couldn't score on them. Uh, rookie of the Year, people will look at at zion williamson and say in that small sample size of think it was 16 or 18 games that he played in that he should have been the rookie of the year i'm it's john morant for me and it's not even really a question i can i can look over the injuries and the the care that the pelicans were taking with with zion but to say that he played 18 games and he's the rookie of the year despite what morant did in leading that team it's just a non-starter and kendrick nunn from the heat was third place for me couple other ones that you might be interested in uh defensive player of the year I had Giannis for that as well Rudy Gobert can be in this conversation every single year but he was second to me I think Giannis um, improved his defense significantly and and at least on my ballot he's the MVP and defensive player of the year he's gonna that's a rare double for him to be able to pull off for my most improved player I went with Christian Wood because, again, if you look at that story of him being the last player on the roster and where he finished the season running off 20-point, 30-point games consecutively and becoming a their go-to guy offensively, I think that's what the most improved player is about. And that somehow that's turned into, let's make it the guy like a Brandon Ingram who went from being a good player to being an all-star, can't-miss-leading-a-team type guy. And... I, it's that's a good story as well. I don't want to undermine that at all or diminish that, but even what Devontae Graham had done in Charlotte, and Graham was my second place guy, I think that's a little bit more significant in terms of the improvement. It's so much harder to go from being just a role guy to being a significant player, a go-to guy. That's harder to me than going from a where Brandon Ingram is to becoming a superstar. I, I, I think you can make that argument that those two things are equal, but for me, for, from where Chris, Christian Wood was, just kind of an unproven talent to being a guy who's going to make $10, $12, 15000000 million this year and be a go-to guy next year, I think that's significant and worthy of the most improved player. Uh, also, for 6 man, I voted for Christian Wood for third place behind uh, Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell. Yeah, I won't get into the all-rookie team. I didn't vote for any other Pistons anywhere else, but I think those are the most compelling sort of, pieces to that nba ballot and again it, it's um those things will be announced at somewhere during the playoffs which is to say could be august could be september who knows they'll, they'll put those out anywhere but um that's just a look at some of the, the categories on my ballot and as we look forward to next year and next season what that looks like it, it Michelle Roberts, who's the executive director of the Players Association, suggested that they might just end up doing it in a bubble. And and from what we're seeing right now, as I mentioned with football and baseball, that's the only kind of proven way that you can have sports and feel a little bit safe. And it's a stringent protocol that they have. I mean, they're wearing these high tech rings that can indicate that you might be coming down with, with symptoms of COVID. I would say there's probably a tracker in there to suggest where you're going in the bubble or if you're leaving the bubble. Because how else do you know that a guy is picking up his, his takeout stuff or his to-go stuff and he crossed the line? I mean, that's just me, unless somebody's out here um, telling on other people. And that was one of the other key pieces of the the bubble that's funny to me. is just this, they call it the snitch line, but if you have information that a, a participant in the bubble is breaking the rules, here's an anonymous line that you can call, yeah, anonymous, for real. But I imagine you could start seeing some... Some calls to that line as we get into the playoffs. Hey, I saw LeBron picking up some DoorDash. I mean, just stuff like that. It's going to be intriguing to see if, and I'm playing with it, but it's 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 going to be intriguing to see if some of that starts to bubble up once we get there. But as they start the next season, is it going to be at the start of December? If you're coming off the the NBA Finals in the draft in October, mid October, you're talking about six or eight weeks before you're starting the next season. That seems to be a little ambitious to me. But if you're you're doing that, then you're doing that and. You have to create some type of of calendar that you're going to operate on. And there's been so much talk for years now about potentially starting the NBA season somewhere around Christmas so you're not conflicting with football. But this would be an opportunity, at least calendar-wise, to start looking at that and seeing if that could work. So uh, the, the early indications are that it's going to be early December or maybe the middle of December when things kick off for next season. I'll just be interested to see if that calendar holds and if that's what they choose to do. We got the announcement yesterday too that the pistons had purchased a new g-league franchise the northern arizona suns and a lot of fans were just kind of well what does this mean well it means the drive are are not going to be affiliated with the pistons after next season the 2021 season will be the last between the drive and the pistons and this new team the the northern arizona suns of course they'll be rebranded renamed they'll come in the 21-22 season They'll come and they'll play in the new arena that's being constructed at Wayne State that's going to house 3,000 fans. It looks to be a very state-of-the-art facility and will be a nice change of pace. They can have some other things in there too. Uh, Some other events like the high school finals, if you want to have a smaller, more intimate place to have it, that might uh, work out a little bit better. But again, right in the, the heart of Midtown Detroit. So that team will come. The drive for for what it's worth they weren't going to leave grand rapids and I've, I've talked to some people who have said they built a fan base and a following and they have a loyal following in that grand rapids area and they were playing at the delta plex delta plex is a is a nice arena for them to be into they might want to move up to van andel at some point that might be one of the the thoughts that they have but if you were moving that thing to detroit that was just going to be a non-starter for the folks in Grand Rapids. So this was brewing. This had been brewing since the announcement last year that the Pistons were moving that, were building that facility along with Wayne State and that they were going to house the thing there. And the folks in Grand Rapids all, almost immediately said, no, 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 son, we're not moving. We're not coming to Detroit. So you, this was brewing. This was was bubbling all the time. But that announcement came out yesterday, so that new franchise will be there. But there's there's so much benefit to having that uh, G League franchise your practice facility and your arena all within two miles of each other and Troy Weaver, Dwayne Casey uh, talked about that yesterday that um, Lugens Dort is a a guy that played for the Thunder when Troy Weaver was with the Thunder and he had this almost meteoric rise because of the time that he spent with the Oklahoma City Blue and they had moved from Tulsa and, and that's couple hours away from oklahoma city but just having that proximity of having your guys be able to work out across the street not too far away from in this case it'll be about a mile away from the pistons practice facility it'll enable a lot more things where a a guy can work out with the g league team or work out with the pistons and move back and forth before And, and i remember these things where henry ellenson uh, and, and guys like that would have to go to Grand Rapids. So they practice with the Pistons in the morning, and get in the car, drive two and a half hours to get to Grand Rapids, and have to play that night. This way, you don't have any of those travel issues. You can just work out with the Pistons in the morning, kind of stick around, and then you can go play for the the new G League team. And again, they're, they're tr- looking for some suggestions to rename this team. I like the Detroit Gators, and you can make a play on the Gator Shoes, the, the hustle was taken. That was another name that I, th- that I thought was good, Detroit Hustle. But that's Memphis that already has that. So you can think of, of some other car-related or Motown-related thing that kind of fits. But uh, they're looking for name suggestions for that. I, I wrote a story about that yesterday, so you can see that on DetroitNews.com. The G League franchise being in Detroit is going to pay dividends for them in just having that synergy. Uh, Dwayne Casey mentioned having coaches, having players, having other things where you're just right there, uh, and and you can have workshops, but it can help with the young coaches, it can help with the younger players being around and seeing what the Pistons are doing. It, it's not this chasm in between, and, and you, you say Grand Rapids is a chasm, it's two and a half hours, it's not that far, but it's not something that you want to just jump up and do unless you really have to, and that's, that's one of the, the benefits of that too. And then guys that might have a rehab start, if it's Luke Kennard, is Luke Kennard going to Grand Rapids to play? Uh, probably not. But if you said, hey, you, you just go to their arena and you're going to play here, that might be something that's a little bit more appealing if you look at that. So it's another professional team that will be in town. It's, it's a minor league team. But at the same time, it'll, it'll be a cheaper ticket. It'll be something that's good quality basketball to watch. I actually like watching G League games from time to time um so that that opportunity will be availed in 2021 22 with that season starting so that's all I got for you today it's um certainly good to be back and and have another podcast out again it's it's just been a tough time to try to keep your mind on sports and try to do other stuff i've been writing some some tiger stuff and covering the tigers and their restart and it was kind of got the juices flowing again but now looking at basketball and the nba coming back tonight it's got me more, more hyped up, and I'm ready to, to start watching basketball again, or at least basketball that matters with records and everything else. So you can check out all the coverage online at DetroitNews.com. Stick with us throughout the, the summer, where I'm sure we'll have some more Pistons coverage coming for you with the filling out of that front office with Troy Weaver as we build up to the draft lottery in a couple of weeks and then the draft in October appreciate all the support appreciate people who have tuned in if you haven't already subscribe i'll certainly won't take this much time to get to the next episode but thanks for everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time